My name is Nick Mangan, and I am an associate in the London employment team at Stevenson Harwood. Welcome to our podcast, in which I'll be speaking to Anne Preeton, a partner in our international employment team, about our employment practice in the Middle East, with which she has been extensively involved, and some key points of interest for companies with operations who are considering setting up in the Middle East and the United Arab Emirates in particular. This is the first of a series of podcasts about employment law in the region. So, Anne, how does a UK qualified lawyer practicing in London like yourself? come to be involved in employment law in the Middle East? Well, Nick, it goes back a few years. Stevenson Harwood's Middle East office was founded in 2012, although we'd actually been doing business with clients in the UAE for many decades before that. The Dubai office acts as a hub for our clients across the Middle East, including Oman, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Bahrain, Algeria and Iraq. I helped set up our employment practice there, along with my fellow partner Kirsten Lucas and our senior associate Emily Arite, and they are now permanently based in Dubai. And the team also recently welcomed senior associate Amar al-Bana into its ranks, and Amar is a bilingual English and Arabic-speaking employment and dispute resolution lawyer. I also co-wrote the first official commentary on the employment law of the Dubai International Finance Centre. That was commissioned by the former DIFC Chief Justice Michael Huang, and together with our international data protection team, which is led by my partner here in London, Johnny Kersop, Emily and Kirsten co-authored the first official commentary on the DIFC data protection law. So we've worked closely on projects like this with the local authorities and the DIFC Academy of Law. Uh, It's been for many years now, including offering a range of training and in recognition of our expertise, we were really pleased to be accredited by the DIFC Academy of Law as specialists, and that's in both DIFC employment and data protection law. And we were also recently named Legal Education Law Firm of the Year, for which we were nominated by the Academy itself. So a while back I had a dual role which involved overseeing the growth and development of the Middle East employment practice in parallel with my London-based work, Um, but I've now had to leave the sunshine behind and I'm based full-time in London again now. And are there regional variations in law across the UAE? Well, first and foremost it's worth remembering that Dubai is just one of seven emirates which make up the UAE. So although Abu Dhabi is the largest emirate and is the seat of the government of the nation, Dubai is a leading commercial centre within the UAE. So to give you an idea of scale and the importance of this jurisdiction in business terms and how new it is, it's worth remembering that UAE is a very new country. Its population in 1971 was just 275,000, and now it falls just short of 10 million. I think everyone will be aware that a very large proportion of that population are expats. Is there any difference in employment terms between employing a local and employing an expat? Well, there are actually some very marked differences. In recent years, there's been a really strong drive towards so-called emiratisation. And in government-owned and some private sector bodies, there are actually strict quotas on the number of local Emiratis who must be employed. And local Emiratis and other GCC nationals are also entitled to different employment rights, particularly in relation to pensions. So if I'm a UK-based HR professional being asked to support my employer's business operations in the UAE, what are some of the ground rules I need to know? Well, the really key point is to establish whether you're dealing with federal law, Emirates-specific laws, or free zone regulations, or a combination of one or more of them. So essentially, what you need to know is if your business is operating onshore or offshore. What do you mean by that? Well, there are actually three different strands of law. Federal laws encompass the whole of the UAE. It includes the Constitution from 1971, and also the UAE Labour Law, the Civil Code, and the Penal Code. There are also laws which are specific to each emirate. So, for example, neighbouring Emirate Sharjah, which is notable for its art scene, amongst other things, also is an entirely so-called dry emirate, which doesn't permit ownership or consumption of alcohol at all. In contrast, Dubai also has alcohol restrictions, but permits limited consumption, provided individuals obtain a licence to do so. 
So the final category of laws, in addition to these differences, are specific to economic free zones. There are around 45 free zones, and some are a bit better known than others. They're actually physical places, and although they're called offshore, which is a little confusing, they are actually part of the city in which they're based. So in Dubai, the better known ones include the Jebel Ali Free Zone, commonly known as JAFSA, the Dubai Multi-Commodity Centre, DMCC, Dubai Media City, the Healthcare City, and the Dubai Airport Free Zone, or DAFSA as it's known. Crucially for many of the clients with which we work, there is the Dubai International Financial Centre, which is generally abbreviated to the much more manageable DIFC. Tell me more about the DIFC. Well, in general, free zones apply the UAE federal labour law, but often with a few little tweaks. But the DIFC, like the Abu Dhabi Global Markets Free Zone, or the ADGM, unusually has its own legal and regulatory framework and has its own separate employment law. And it's all under a common law system which is structured very similarly to the English legal system. So judges from various common law jurisdictions such as Singapore, Australia, Hong Kong and the UK come to Dubai to hear cases. All the procedures and hearings are conducted in English. The DIFC itself is actually a specific area of Dubai, dominated by the iconic gate-building complex, and it's where our offices are based, which has the court and other official offices at its heart, as well as a lot of other businesses. So all businesses which operate within that DIFC area must apply DIFC law to their employees' contracts. There's considerably more freedom to provide for specific contractual arrangements for employees within the DIFC compared with the onshore laws. And onshore, what does that mean in employment terms? Well, onshore, so that's in the UAE, but not in the DIFC or the ADGM, essentially means that UAE labour law applies, and that's written in Arabic. There are published English translations, but if there's any dispute about the meaning of the code, then the Arabic version will prevail. So that means if you end up in a dispute with a former employee onshore, you'd be defending the case in labour courts, which are presided over by Emirati judges, and all proceedings are in Arabic. Before the court stage, parties are given an opportunity to try to resolve the matter amiably in a form of mediation with an official from the Ministry of Human Resources and Emiratisation. The UAE labour law will be supplemented in some of the free zones I mentioned earlier by certain rules and regulations which are enacted by that specific free zone. So, for example, in the DMCC, a labour dispute would start before the DMCC's own mediation service rather than the central service I referred to before it proceeds to the labour courts. Offshore and onshore employees have a lot of rights in common, but in general terms I think most people would consider the DIFC laws to be rather more favourable to employers. So what do I need to know if I'm recruiting an expat for an onshore UAE business? Well, there are a number of formalities before the individual actually arrives in the UAE. They have to get an offer letter, there must be a guarantee offered by an employer, and an entry permit also needs to be given. Once in-country, there are other formalities which need to be carried out. That includes a medical, the generation of an Emirates ID card, the individual's contract of employment and a labour card. So as soon as the resident's visa and the work permit have been obtained, applications can be made for dependents to be sponsored, and that's by the employee, but it includes their spouses and children. What about the paperwork? Well, if you're used to Western employment regimes, in particular the UK, the USA or Europe, you'd expect to drop your own employment contract. In the UAE, though, every onshore employee must receive a standard employment contract in a template form. And the contract's in Arabic, but it's got an English translation alongside. You can add your own terms to an appendix, but it's very difficult to make changes to the underlying template contract. Now, some free zones have developed their own version of the template onshore contract, so you need to check where the employing business is based to make sure you're using the right version. So what does the DIFC employment law look like? Well, funnily enough, it will actually look very familiar to HR specialists who've been working in the UK. 
So, for example, whilst there are still entry permit and visa requirements like the ones I just described, there is much greater freedom of contract provided that certain minimum terms and conditions are included. So DIFC employment law is actually modelled on the Employment Rights Act. It's often termed the ERA light, but that's a bit of a deceptive description because in fact the DIFC employment law is a stripped-back version of the Employment Rights Act, but it has its own very specific local provisions as well. And that's why it contains a number of pitfalls for the unsuspecting. Of course there are quite a few cultural differences which can cause issues too, I should imagine. Well, definitely. The most obvious one is that the working week is generally from Sunday to Thursday, Friday being the Muslim holy day and a day of rest. Employees can work a maximum of eight hours per day on a 48-hour week, but Western employers should also bear in mind that all onshore employees under UAE labour law, regardless of religion or nationality, are actually entitled to reduced working hours during the Ramadan period, which is six-hour day only. National holidays must be given to employees, and those dates can vary because they're actually based on the Muslim lunar calendar, and actually quite often national days are not announced until a few days beforehand. Remuneration, which is of course income tax-free in the UAE, is generally made up of basic salary and allowances, such as housing allowances. So sometimes these allowances can actually be very high, and one of the reasons for that is that as an employee leaves a company, they're entitled to a mandatory statutory gratuity payment, and that's calculated using basic salary rather than allowances. So to guard against having to pay high-level gratuity departure payments, many employers keep the basic salary as low as they can. So summing up for today, a few key points to bear in mind are checking out you are using the right contractual documentation at the beginning, making sure you know whether you are dealing with an onshore or offshore employment arrangement, having in mind the cost of gratuities and termination before ending anyone's employment, and making sure as a HR team and as an overseas employer you are fully up to speed with some of the cultural issues in the UAE which are enshrined in law. That's right, and of course the other key point to bear in mind is that we're always really happy to help. The Middle East employment team combines very many years' experience of the UK market with a deep and full appreciation of the local law and the cultural expectations. So as well as knowing the law, we also know a lot about what happens actually on the ground. We're well-networked among other local providers who can help with some of the rather overwhelming paperwork and some of the cultural do's and don'ts that go with doing business in the UAE. So please do get in touch if we can help you. Thank you, Anne. That's been a really interesting glimpse into some of the areas businesses should keep in mind in the UAE. Join us again for further Middle East-focused podcasts in which the team will go into more detail on some of the pitfalls you can encounter in employment and HR matters in the region. Thank you for listening today. Thank you.